Section 10 of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 10. I but slightly read this letter for the present to give way to one I had hopes of finding by this time from Mr. Williams. I took an evening turn, as I called it, in Mrs. Jukes's company, and walking by the place, I said, Do you think, Mrs. Jukes, any of my beans can have struck since yesterday? She laughed and said, You are a poor gardener, but I love to see you divert yourself. She passing on, I found my good friend had provided for me, and slipping it in my bosom, for her back was towards me, Here, said I, having a bean in my hand, is one of them, but it has not stirred. No, to be sure, said she, and turned upon me a most wicked jest, unbecoming the mouth of a woman, about planting, etc. When I came in, I hied to my closet and read as follows. I am sorry to tell you that I have had a repulse from Lady Jones. She is concerned at your case, she says, but don't care to make herself enemies. I applied to Lady Darnford, and told her in the most pathetic manner I could your sad story, and showed her your more pathetic letter. I found her well disposed, but she would advise with Sir Simon, who, by the by, is not a man of an extraordinary character for virtue. But he said to his lady in my presence, Why, what is all this, my dear, but that our neighbor has a mind to his mother's waiting-maid, and if he takes care she wants for nothing— I don't see any great injury will be done her. He hurts no family by this. So, my dear father and mother, it seems that poor people's honesty is to go for nothing. And I think, Mr. Williams, you of all men, should not engage in this affair against your friend and patron. He spoke this in so determined a manner that the lady had done, and I had only to beg no notice should be taken of the matter as from me. I have hinted your case to Mr. Peters, the minister of this parish, but I am concerned to say that he imputed selfish views to me as if I would make an interest in your affections by my zeal, and when I represented the duties of our function and the like, and protested my disinterestedness, he coldly said, I was very good, but was a young man and knew little of the world, and though it was a thing to be lamented, yet when he and I should set about to reform mankind in this respect, we should have enough upon our hands, for, he said, it was too common and fashionable a case to be withstood by a private clergyman or two, and then he uttered some reflections upon the conduct of the present fathers of the church in regard to the first personages of the realm as a justification of his coldness on this score. I represented the different circumstances of your affair, that other women lived evilly by their own consent, but to serve you was to save an innocence that had but few examples, and then I showed him your letter. He said it was very prettily written, and he was sorry for you, and that your good intentions ought to be encouraged. But what, said he, would you have me do, Mr. Williams? Why, suppose, sir, said I, you give her shelter in your house with your spouse and niece till she can get to her friends. What, and embroil myself with a man of Mr. B.'s power and fortune? No, not I, I'll assure you. 
and I would have you consider what you are about. Besides, she owns, continued he, that he promises to do honorably by her, and her shyness will procure her good terms enough, for he is no covetous nor wicked gentleman except in this case, and tis what all young gentlemen will do. I am greatly concerned for him, I assure you, but I am not discouraged by this ill success. Let what will come of it, if I can serve you. I don't hear, as yet, that Mr. B. is coming. I am glad of your hint as to that unhappy fellow, John Arnold. Something, perhaps, will strike out from that, which may be useful. As to your packets, if you seal them up and lay them in the usual place, if you find it not suspected, I will watch an opportunity to convey them. But if they are large, you had best be very cautious. This evil woman, I find, mistrusts me much. I just hear that the gentleman is dying, whose living Mr. B. has promised me. I have almost a scruple to take it, as I am acting so contrary to his desires. But I hope he will one day thank me for it. As to money, don't think of it at present. Be assured you may command all in my power to do for you without reserve. I believe when we hear he is coming, it will be best to make use of the key which I shall soon procure you, and I can borrow a horse for you, I believe, to wait within half a mile of the back door over the pasture, and will contrive by myself or somebody to have you conducted some miles distant to one of the villages thereabouts. So don't be discomforted, I beseech you. I am, excellent Mrs. Pamela, your faithful friend, etc. I made a thousand sad reflections upon the former part of this honest gentleman's kind letter, and but for the hope he gave me at last, should have given up my case as quite desperate. I then wrote to thank him most gratefully for his kind endeavors, to lament the little concern the gentry had for my deplorable case, the wickedness of the world, first to give way to such iniquitous fashions, and then plead the frequency of them against the attempt to amend them, and how unaffected people were with the distresses of others. I recalled my former hint as to writing to Lady Davers, which I feared, I said, would only serve to apprise her brother that she knew his wicked scheme, and more harden him in it, and make him come down the sooner, and to be the more determined on my ruin. Besides that it might make Mr. Williams guessed at, as a means of conveying my letter, and being very fearful, that if that good lady should interest herself in my behalf, which was a doubt since she both loved and feared her brother, it would have no effect upon him, and that therefore I would wait the happy event I might hope for from his kind assistance in the key and the horse. I intimated my master's letter, begging to be permitted to come down, was fearful it might be sudden, and that I was of opinion no time was to be lost, for we might let slip all our opportunities, telling him the money trick of this vile woman, etc. I had not time to take a copy of this letter, I was so watched, and when I had it ready in my bosom, I was easy. And so I went to seek out Mrs. Jukes, and told her I would have her advice upon the letter I had received from my master, which point of confidence in her pleased her not a little. I said she, now this is something like and we'll take a turn in the garden, or wherever you please. I pretended it was indifferent to me, and so we walked into the garden. I began to talk to her of the letter, but was far from acquainting her with all the contents, 
only that he wanted my consent to come down, and hoped she used me kindly, and the like. And I said, Now, Mrs. Jukes, let me have your advice as to this. Why then, said she, I will give it to you freely. Eden send to him to come down. It will highly oblige him, and I dare say you'll fare the better for it. How the better, said I. I dare say you think yourself that he intends my ruin. I hate, said she, that foolish word, your ruin. Why, ne'er a lady in the land may live happier than you if you will, or be more honorably used. Well, Mrs. Jukes, said I, I shall not at this time dispute with you about the words ruin and honorable, for I find we have quite different notions of both. But now I will speak plainer than I ever did. Do you think he intends to make proposals to me as to be a kept mistress, or kept a slave, rather, or do you not? Why, lambkin, said she, what dost thou think thyself? I fear, said I, he does. Well, said she, but if he does, for I know nothing of the matter, I assure you, you may have your own terms, I see that, for you may do anything with him. I could not bear this to be spoken, though it was all I feared of a long time, and began to exclaim most sadly. Nay, said she, he may marry you, as far as I know. No, no, said I, that cannot be. I neither desire nor expect it. His condition don't permit me to have such a thought, and that, in the whole series of his conduct, convinces me of the contrary. And you would have me invite him to come down, would you? Is not this to invite my ruin? "'Tis what I would do,' said she, "'in your place, and if it was to be as you think, "'I should rather be out of my pain "'than live in continual frights and apprehensions as you do.' "'No,' replied I, "'an hour of innocence is worth an age of guilt, "'and were my life to be made ever so miserable by it, "'I should never forgive myself "'if I were not to lengthen out to the longest minute "'my happy time of honesty.' Who knows what providence may do for me? Why, maybe, said she, as he loves you so well, you may prevail upon him by your prayers and tears, and for that reason, I should think, you'd better let him come down. Well, said I, I will write him a letter because he expects an answer, or maybe he will make a pretense to come down. How can it go? I'll take care of that, said she. It is in my instructions. I thought I, so I doubt, by the hint Mr. Williams gave me about the post-house. The gardener coming by, I said, Mr. Jacob, I have planted a few beans, and I call the place my garden. It is just by the door out yonder. I'll show it you. Pray don't dig them up. So I went on with him, and when we had turned the alley out of her sight and were near the place, said I, Pray step to Mrs. Jukes, and ask her if she has any more beans for me to plant. He smiled, I suppose at my foolishness, and I popped the letter under the mould and stepped back, as if waiting for his return, which, being near, was immediate, and she followed him. What should I do with beans? said she, and sadly scared me, for she whispered me, I am afraid of some fetch. You don't use to send on such simple errands. What fetch? said I. It is hard I can neither stir nor speak, but I must be suspected. Why, said she, 
my master writes that I must have all my eyes about me, for though you are as innocent as a dove, yet you are as cunning as a serpent. But I'll forgive you if you cheat me. Then I thought of my money and could have called her names had I dared, and I said, Pray, Mrs. Jukes, now you talk of forgiving me if I cheat you, be so kind as to pay me my money, for though I have no occasion for it, yet I know you was but in jest, and intended to give it me again. You shall have it in a proper time, said she, but indeed I was in earnest to get it out of your hands, for fear you should make an ill use of it. And so we cavilled upon this subject as we walked in, and I went up to write my letter to my master, and, as I intended to show it her, I resolved to write accordingly as to her part of it, for I made little account of his offer of Mrs. Jervis to me, instead of this wicked woman, though the most agreeable thing that could have befallen me except my escape from hence, nor indeed anything he said, for to be honorable, in the just sense of the word, he need not have caused me to be run away with, and confined as I am. I wrote as follows. Honored sir, when I consider how easily you might make me happy, since all I desire is to be permitted to go to my poor father and mother, when I reflect upon your former proposal to me in relation to a certain person, not one word of which is now mentioned, and upon my being in that strange manner run away with, and still kept here a miserable prisoner, do you think, sir, pardon your poor servant's freedom, my fears make me bold, do you think, I say, that your general assurances of honor to me can have the effect upon me that, were it not for these things, all your words ought to have? Oh, good sir, I too much apprehend that your notions of honor and mine are very different from one another, and I have no other hopes but in your continued absence. If you have any proposals to make me, that are consistent with your honorable professions, in my humble sense of the word, a few lines will communicate them to me, and I will return such an answer as befits me. But, oh, what proposals can one in your high station have to make to one in my low one? I know what belongs to your degree too well to imagine that anything can be expected but sad temptations and utter distress if you come down. And you know not, sir, when I am made desperate, what the wretched Pamela dares to do. Whatever rashness you may impute to me, I cannot help it but I wish I may not be forced upon any that otherwise would never enter into my thoughts. Forgive me, sir, my plainness. I should be loath to behave to my master unbecomingly. But I must needs say, sir, my innocence is so dear to me that all other considerations are, and, I hope, shall ever be, treated by me as niceties that ought, for that, to be dispensed with. If you mean honorably, why, sir, should you not let me know it plainly? Why is it necessary to imprison me to convince me of it? And why must I be close-watched and attended, hindered from stirring out, from speaking to anybody, from going so much as to church to pray for you, who have been, till of late, so generous a benefactor to me? Why, sir, I humbly ask, why all this, if you mean honorably? It is not for me to expostulate so freely, but in a case so near to me, with you, sir, so greatly my superior. Pardon me, I hope you will, but as to seeing you, I cannot bear the dreadful apprehension. Whatever you have to propose, 
whatever you intend by me, let my assent be that of a free person, mean as I am, and not of a sordid slave, who is to be threatened and frightened into a compliance with measures, which your conduct to her seems to imply would be otherwise abhorred by her. My restraint is indeed hard upon me. I am very uneasy under it. Shorten it, I beseech you, or— but I will not dare to say more than that I am your greatly oppressed unhappy servant. After I had taken a copy of this, I folded it up, and Mrs. Jukes, coming just as I had done, sat down by me and said, when she saw me direct it, I wish you would tell me if you have taken my advice and consented to my master's coming down. If it will oblige you, said I, I will read it to you. That's good, said she then I'll love you dearly, said I, then you must not offer to alter one word. I won't, replied she, so I read it to her, and she praised me much for my wording it, but said she thought I pushed the matter very close, and it would better bear talking of than writing about. She wanted an explanation or two, as about the proposal to a certain person, but I said she must take it as she heard it. Well, well, said she, I make no doubt you understand one another, and will do so more and more. I sealed up the letter, and she undertook to convey it. Sunday. For my part, I knew it in vain to expect to have leave to go to church now, and so I did not ask. And I was the more indifferent, because, if I might have had permission, the sight of the neighboring gentry, who had despised my sufferings, would have given me great regret and sorrow and it was impossible I should have edified under any doctrine preached by Mr. Peters, so I applied myself to my private devotions. Mr. Williams came yesterday and this day as usual and took my letter, but, having no good opportunity, we avoided one another's conversation and kept at a distance. But I was concerned I had not the key, for I would not have lost a moment in that case had I been he and he I. When I was at my devotion, Mrs. Jukes came up and wanted me sadly to sing her a psalm, as she had often on common days importuned me for a song upon the spinet, but I declined it, because my spirits were so low I could hardly speak, nor cared to be spoken to. But when she was gone, I, remembering the 137th psalm to be a little touching, turned to it and took the liberty to alter it somewhat nearer to my case. I hope I did not sin in it, but thus I turned it. 1. When sad I sat in the bee hall, all guarded round about, and thought of every absent friend, the tears for grief burst out. 2. My joys and hopes all overthrown, my heart-strings almost broke, unfit my mind for melody, much more to bear a joke. 3. When she to whom I prisoner was, said to me tauntingly, now cheer your heart and sing a song, and tune your mind to joy. 4. Alas, said I, how can I frame my heavy heart to sing, or tune my mind, while thus enthralled, by such a wicked thing? 5. But yet, if from my innocence I even in thought should slide, then let my fingers quite forget the sweet spinet to guide. 6 and let my tongue within my mouth be locked for ever fast, if I rejoice before I see my full deliverance past. 7. And thou, Almighty, recompense the evils I endure, for
from those who seek my sad disgrace, so causeless to procure. 8. Remember, Lord, this Mrs. Jukes, when with a mighty sound, she cries, down with her chastity, down to the very ground. 9. Even so shalt thou, O wicked one, at length to shame be brought, and happy shall all those be called that my deliverance wrought. 10. Yea, blessed shall the man be called that shames thee of thy evil, and saves me from thy vile attempts, and thee too from the devil. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I write now with a little more liking, though less opportunity, because Mr. Williams has got a large parcel of my papers, safe in his hands, to send them to you, as he has opportunity. So I am not quite uselessly employed. And I am delivered besides, from the fear of their being found, if I should be searched or discovered. I have been permitted to take an airing five or six miles with Mrs. Jukes, but, though I know not the reason, she watches me more closely than ever, so that we have discontinued by consent for these three days the sunflower correspondence. The poor cookmaid has had a bad mischance, for she has been hurt much by a bull in the pasture by the side of the garden, not far from the back door. Now this pasture I am to cross, which is about half a mile, and then is a common, and near that a private horse-road, where I hope to find an opportunity for escaping, as soon as Mr. Williams can get me a horse, and has all made ready for me, for he has got me the key which he put under the mould just by the door, as he found an opportunity to hint to me. He just now has signified that the gentleman is dead, whose living he has had hope of, and he came pretendedly to tell Mrs. Jukes of it, and so could speak this to her before me. She wished him joy. See what the world is! One man's death is another man's joy. Thus we thrust out one another. My hard case makes me serious. He found means to slide a letter into my hands and is gone away. He looked at me with such respect and solemnness at parting that Mrs. Jukes said, Why, madame, I believe our young parson is half in love with you. Ah, Mrs. Jukes, said I, he knows better said she, I believe to sound me, why, I can't see you can either of you do better, and I have lately been so touched for you, seeing how heavily you apprehend dishonor from my master, that I think it is a pity you should not have Mr. Williams. I knew this must be a fetch of hers, because, instead of being troubled for me, as she pretended, she watched me closer, and him too. And so I said, There is not the man living that I desire to marry, if I can but keep myself honest, it is all my desire, and to be a comfort and assistance to my poor parents, if it should be my happy lot to be so, is the very top of my ambition. Well, but, said she, I have been thinking very seriously that Mr. Williams would make you a good husband, and as he will owe all his fortune to my master, he will be very glad, to be sure, to be obliged to him for a wife of his choosing." especially, said she, such a pretty one, and one so ingenious and genteelly educated. This gave me a doubt whether she knew of my master's intimation of that sort formerly, and I asked her if she had reason to surmise that this was in view. No, she said, it is only her own thought, but it was very likely that my master had either that in view or something better for me, 
but if I approved of it, she would propose such a thing to her master directly, and gave a detestable hint that I might take resolutions upon it of bringing such an affair to effect. I told her I abhorred her vile insinuation, and as to Mr. Williams, I thought him a civil good sort of man, but as on one side he was above me, so on the other I said of all things I did not love a parson. So finding she could make nothing of me, she quitted the subject. I will open his letter by and by, and give you the contents of it, for she is up and down so much, that I am afraid of her surprising me. Well, I see Providence has not abandoned me. I shall be under no necessity to make advances to Mr. Williams if I was, as I am sure I am not, disposed to it. This is his letter. I know not how to express myself, lest I should appear to you to have a selfish view in the service I would do you. But I really know but one effectual and honorable way to disengage yourself from the dangerous situation you are in. It is that of marriage with some person that you could make happy in your approbation. As for my own part, it would be, as things stand, my apparent ruin. And worse still, I should involve you in misery too. But yet, so great is my veneration for you, and so entire my reliance on providence, upon so just an occasion, that I should think myself but too happy if I might be accepted. I would, in this case, forgo all my expectations, and be your conductor to some safe distance. But why do I say in this case? That I will do, whether you think fit to reward me so eminently or not and I will, the moment I hear of Mr. B.'s setting out, and I think now I have settled a very good method of intelligence of all his motions, get a horse ready, and myself to conduct you. I refer myself wholly to your goodness and direction, and am, with the highest respect, your most faithful humble servant. Don't think this is a sudden resolution. I always admired your hearsay character, and the moment I saw you, wished to serve so much excellence. What shall I say, my dear father and mother, to this unexpected declaration? I want now, more than ever, your blessing and direction. But, after all, I have no mind to marry. I had rather live with you. But yet, I would marry a man who begs from door to door, and has no home nor being, rather than endanger my honesty. Yet I cannot, methinks, hear of being a wife. After a thousand different thoughts, I wrote as follows. Reverend Sir, I am greatly confused at the contents of your last. You are much too generous, and I can't bear you should risk all your future prospects for so unworthy a creature. I cannot think of your offer without equal concern and gratitude, for nothing but to avoid my utter ruin can make me think of a change of condition. And so, sir, you ought not to accept of such an involuntary compliance as mine would be, were I, upon the last necessity, to yield to your very generous proposal. I will rely wholly upon your goodness to me in assisting my escape, but shall not, on your account principally, think of the honor you propose for me at present, and never but at the pleasure of my parents, who, poor as they are, in such a weighty point, are as much entitled to my obedience and duty as if they were ever so rich." I beg you, therefore, sir, not to think of anything from me but everlasting gratitude, which shall always bind me to be your most obliged servant. 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the 14th, 15th, and 16th of my bondage. Mrs. Jukes has received a letter, and is much civiler to me and to Mr. Williams, too, than she used to be. I wonder I have not one in answer to mine to my master. I suppose I put the matter to home for him, and he is angry. I am not the more pleased with her civility, for she is horrid cunning, and is not a whit less watchful. I laid a trap to get at her instructions, which she carries in the bosom of her stays, but it has not succeeded. My last letter is come safe to Mr. Williams by the old conveyance, so that he is not suspected. He has intimated that though I have not come so readily as he hoped into his scheme, yet his diligence shall not be slackened, and he will leave it to Providence and himself to dispose of him as he shall be found to deserve. He has signified to me that he shall soon send a special messenger with the packet to you, and I have added to it what has occurred since. Sunday. I am just now quite astonished. I hope all is right, but I have a strange turn to acquaint you with. Mr. Williams and Mrs. Jukes came to me both together, he in ecstasies, she with a strange fluttering sort of air. Well, said she, Mrs. Pamela, I give you joy, I give you joy. Let nobody speak but me. Then she sat down as out of breath, puffing and blowing. Why, everything turns as I said it would, said she. Why, there is to be a match between you and Mr. Williams. Well, I always thought it. Never was so good a master. Go to, go to, naughty mistrustful Mrs. Pamela. Nay, Mrs. Williams, said the forward creature, I may as good call you. You ought on your knees to beg his pardon a thousand times for mistrusting him. She was going on, but I said, Don't torture me thus, I beseech you, Mrs. Jukes. Let me know all. Ah, Mr. Williams, said I, take care, take care. Mistrustful again, said she. Why, Mr. Williams, show her your letter, and I will show her mine. They were brought by the same hand. I trembled at the thoughts of what this might mean, and said, You have so surprised me that I cannot stand, nor hear, nor read. Why did you come up in such a manner to attack such weak spirits? said he to Mrs. Jukes. Shall we leave our letters with Mrs. Pamela, and let her recover from her surprise? Ay, said she, with all my heart, here is nothing but flaming honor and good will. And so saying, they left me their letters and withdrew. My heart was quite sick with the surprise, so that I could not presently read them, notwithstanding my impatience. But after a while, recovering, I found the contents thus strange and unexpected. Mr. Williams, the death of Mr. Founds has now given me the opportunity I have long wanted to make you happy, and that in a double respect, for I shall soon put you in possession of his living, and, if you have the art of making yourself well received, of one of the loveliest wives in England. She has not been used, as she has reason to think, according to her merit, but when she finds herself under the protection of a man of virtue and probity, and a happy competency to support life in the manner to which she has been of late years accustomed, I am persuaded she will forgive those seeming hardships which have paved the way to so happy a lot, as I hope it will be to you both. I have only to account for and excuse the odd conduct I have been guilty of, which I shall do when I see you. But as I shall soon set out for London, 
I believe it will not be yet this month. Meantime, if you will prevail with Pamela, you need not suspend for that your mutual happiness. Only let me have notice of it first, and that she approves of it, which ought to be, in so material a point, entirely at her option, as I assure you, on the other hand, I would have it at yours, that nothing may be wanting to complete your happiness. I am your humble servant. Was ever the like heard? Lie still, my throbbing heart, divided as thou art, between thy hopes and thy fears. But this is the letter Mrs. Jukes left with me. Mrs. Jukes, you have been very careful and diligent in the task, which, for reasons I shall hereafter explain, I had imposed upon you. Your trouble is now almost at an end, for I have written my intentions to Mr. Williams so particularly that I need say the less here, because he will not scruple, I believe, to let you know the contents of my letter. I have only one thing to mention, that if you find what I have hinted to him in the least measure disagreeable to either, you assure them both they are at entire liberty to pursue their own inclinations. I hope you continue your civilities to the mistrustful, uneasy Pamela, who now will begin to think better of hers and your friend, etc. I had hardly time to transcribe these letters, though, writing so much, I write pretty fast, before they both came up again in high spirits, and Mr. Williams said, I am glad at my heart, madame, that I was beforehand in my declarations to you. This generous letter has made me the happiest man on earth, and, Mrs. Jukes, you may be sure that if I can procure this fair one's consent, I shall think myself. I interrupted the good man and said, Ah, Mr. Williams, take care, take care. Don't let... There I stopped, and Mrs. Jukes said, Still mistrustful. I never saw the like in my life. But I see, said she, I was not wrong, while my old orders lasted, to be wary of you both. I should have had a hard task to prevent you, I find, for, as the saying is, not can restrain consent of twain. I doubted not her taking hold of his joyful indiscretion. I took her letter and said, Here, Mrs. Jukes, is yours. I thank you for it, but I have been so long in a maze that I can say nothing of this for the present. Time will bring all to light. Sir, said I, here is yours. May everything turn to your happiness. I give you joy of my master's goodness in the living. It will be dying, said he, not a living without you. Forbear, sir, said I, while I have a father and mother, I am not my own mistress, poor as they are, and I'll see myself quite at liberty, before I shall think myself fit to make a choice. Mrs. Jukes held up her eyes and hands, and said, Such art, such caution, such cunning for thy years. Well. Why, said I, that he might be more on his guard, though I hope there cannot be deceit in this, t'would be a strange villainy, and that is a hard word if there should. I have been so used to be made a fool of by fortune, that I hardly can tell how to govern myself, and am almost an infidel as to mankind. But I hope I may be wrong. Henceforth, Mrs. Jukes, you shall regulate my opinions as you please, and I will consult you in everything, that I think proper, I said to myself. For, to be sure, though I may forgive her, I can never love her. She left Mr. Williams and me a few minutes together, and I said, 
consider, sir, consider what you have done. "'Tis impossible, said he, there can be deceit. I hope so, said I, but what necessity was there for you to talk of your former declaration? Let this be as it will, that could do no good, especially before this woman. Forgive me, sir, they talk of woman's promptness of speech, but indeed, I see an honest heart is not always to be trusted with itself in bad company. He was going to reply, but though her task is said to be almost, I took notice of that word, at an end, she came up to us again and said, Well, I had a good mind to show you the way to church tomorrow. I was glad of this because, though in my present doubtful situation I should not have chosen it, yet I would have encouraged her proposal, to be able to judge by her being in earnest or otherwise, whether one might depend upon the rest. But Mr. Williams again indiscreetly helped her to an excuse by saying, that it was now best to defer it one Sunday, until matters were riper for my appearance, and she readily took hold of it, and confirmed his opinion. After all, I hope for the best, but if this should turn out to be a plot, I fear nothing but a miracle can save me. But, sure, the heart of man is not capable of such black deceit. Besides, Mr. Williams has it under his own hand, and he dare not but be in earnest. And then again, though to be sure he has been very wrong to me, yet his education and parents' example have neither of them taught him such very black contrivances. So I will hope for the best. End of section 10